Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. But watch this. If one man sinned, there's nothing that could do to unring that bell apart from God who said, don't do it. And if you do it, you're going to be in trouble. God then comes in and with his grace and mercy says, I will unring that bell, but it's going to cost me the death of my son on the cross for you and me. And there's a lot more that comes with that that's beautiful. We'll talk about that when we get into chapter 6. So let's talk about the second man who cleaned all this stuff up, which would be Jesus. To do that, we're going to look at the contrasts and the comparisons. And there are two phrases that I have in your notes to show you that there is a contrast between Adam and Jesus. And yet at the same time, they're somewhat alike. And I'm going to show you their similarities because that's part of the, the, uh, the um, understanding of the truth and the doctrine. The other would be the contrast. There's more contrasts, obviously, than you have comparisons. The two phrases are coming from Scripture 15 and 16, which is, it's not like. That's the contrast. Adam and Jesus, it's not like this. It's not like this. It's not like this, showing the contrast. Then you get into the comparison, but it's also like this. So then also, even so, even so, showing the comparison. So you're going to see both of them, Adam and Jesus, are separate, and yet at the same time, they're all compared together. And when you understand this truth, I believe you'll understand the, I hope to help you to understand two things, the extent of the damage of sin and the extent of grace. And the beauty of grace is that it just doesn't clean up the sin. It gives us the abundance of life beyond that. Or once you're dead, you're dead. That's it. But when you get new life in Christ, it's so beyond that. It's that wonderful, abundant life. Well, let's look at it very quickly now, shall we? Let's look at four contrasts between Adam and Christ in this. Beginning, if you will, at verse 15. It says, But the free gift is not like the transgression. What do you mean by that? The free gift, that's the gift of grace. That's the gift of eternal life. That's the gift of Christ. We could wrap it all over. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has not life. So it's all wrapped up with grace and gift and and all of that together. It's not like the transgression. Now the big question is, why isn't it? How isn't it? Continue in the verse. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. So here's what that means. The big event is that Adam's sin. By one man's sin, he brought the moral ruin of the human race. But by Christ's great gift of grace, so much more came to us. When I, when I have sin in my life, that's bad. If I did not have sin in my life, that's better. But to have God's grace in my life... It's far better than the absence of sin in my life. So not having sin in my life is good. Having grace in God's gift and the person of Christ in my life and permeating my life is the very best. And so when you hear that Christ kind of cleaned up the mess, he more than just cleaned it up. He made it so clean that we can't sin again in such a way that we would need Christ to go back to the cross to pay for our sin because he did such a good job with it. That's the point that we're making here. And that's the beauty of all this, the gift that's so much greater than the transgression. Now, notice the last part of that. It says, 
much more to the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. All right? Maybe a way to look at that would be this. You have Adam that committed the sin, and in him all have sinned. All right? He did one act of sin, brought the moral ruin of the human race. Jesus did one act on the cross, and he didn't just, watch this, by that one act, forgive Adam's one sin. The reason his act of grace is so much greater is because what he did with that grace is that he then would forgive all the transgressions of all the people who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So one man did one deed and that kind of trickled down to everybody else. Jesus says, I'm now going to pay for the sin of all the world for the sin that Adam started over here. That is beautiful grace that God gives to us. And that's what we say, that Adam's sin was huge, but not as wonderful as the gift of grace that came from the Lord. All right, let's look at the next comparison. The next comparison would be the result of this found in verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. I love that. For the one, on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So again, it's the beauty of all this coming together where one man's sin damned the entire race. One man's gift justified not just one man, but all those who had placed their faith in Christ. You might want to look at something quite uh, interesting here, and that would be the deity of Christ. Go back to verse 15. If you have your pens ready, you might like this. Those of you that are dealing with people that do not believe that Jesus is God. Look at the end of verse 15. It says, much more did the grace of God, and so you see God there, and then the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. So you see grace of God and the grace of Christ one more time indicating that Christ and God are deity because they're the ones from whom grace emanates from whom that grace is then given. So here we see the result in this contrast, judgment versus justification. Let's look at the third contrast, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Christ Jesus. So through Adam, death reigned, but when you have Christ, it brings life. And oh, how beautiful that is to have the life of Christ. Because here's what happens. When you die, it's over for you. When you trust Christ, you're given life and your life continues to grow and take on new dimensions and you're able to do more, experience more. Let me explain that for just a moment. When I trusted Christ as Savior, I came from a home that was very, um, it was a good home, moral home, all that, non-religious, definitely not Christian. But I grew up in an environment where our family never did. We never went on vacation. We never went anywhere. We just kind of stayed home. I can remember in our home, mom and dad would have sheets over all of our windows on the inside because they felt like it needed to keep the sunlight from coming in because they needed to run the air conditioner and they wanted to keep it as cheap as possible. So they want to make sure no light, no heat would get in. I don't even remember what our couches looked like because mom would have sheets all over our couches and the chairs that were in there. And then whenever we'd have a guest, uh, which was very rare because they didn't have a lot of friends, they would then pull it off and then, oh, I didn't realize we had this kind of furniture, then back on the sheets again. Now, some of you are saying, well, I know why they did that because, Stan, you're a big mess. (laughs) They're they're doing to protect their furniture from you. That may be the case. I get that. But I know that when I trusted Christ as Savior, that there was a new life that found 
its way in me. There was this joy for the Lord, this overcoming of the fear of death, overcoming of hell. I remember that we began to travel. Carol and I have been to more countries. We've been around more people. We've seen more people come to faith. And if I move away from just what the Lord, through his life and grace, has given to me over that old man, Adam, our life is like a kaleidoscope. When I think about, here we are in Hawaii. Here I am pastoring, in my opinion, the finest church in all the world with the finest people that we love so much that are more than just parishioners. You're my friends. You're my brothers. You're my I, I love you. And, and, and have this experience. I look back over this little no-name nobody that didn't have any mentor growing up, that had nobody that spiritually was in my life to help me, that coming to faith in Christ and then God in his riches of his grace changed me from the inside out. That's a magnanimous thing. And when you sit back and you look at what you've allowed the Lord to do to you because you've trusted Christ and now you have that in your life, where death reigned, in other words, all that fear of death and bondage was in your life reigning and bringing you fear. When you trust Christ, it's like the shackles are left off that you are able to look out into this world and it's like a Disneyland of opportunities. Now let me make this clear. It is not a land without problems in it. All the things we've gone through, we've had financial issues, we've had family issues, we've had friends issues, we've had uh, fitness issues in our life. So it's not without the problems. But in it, there's this hope, there's this joy. So when I look at the Adam and Christ together, I exult in the person of Jesus Christ because of what he's done for me in this life, let alone of what I'm going to get in the next life. And so I say, thank you, Lord, for cleaning up the mess that Adam made that now became my mess because I made the mess in Adam, even though I wasn't alive then. I was in Adam back then as a human being. And so I committed the same mess he did. And all throughout time, I'm a sinner. And he stepped in with his glorious grace. So when you hear these truths, it's not just a theology message. It's a message that should bring humility and perhaps a a sense of brokenness, also a sense of glee and joy because of who he is how we want our lives to be different. Here's the fourth and final contrast. If you go now to verse um, 19, it says this, for as through the one man's disobedience, that would be Adam, the many were made sinners, and many is kind of a little rhetorical because we know all were made sinners, okay? Even so through the obedience of the one, and that would be Christ the one, what was his obedience? Let me make this very clear. We know he obeyed the Father and he went to the cross to die to pay for the sin of the world, but I don't want you to think he was only obedient when he went to the cross. He was totally pure, righteous. There was no sin with Christ. But in this context, because of the sin of one, the only thing that Christ did then that paid for our sin was his death and resurrection. So it was the obedience of the cross of the one that it says, the many will be made righteous. Now, it doesn't say that all will be made righteous. It says the many will be made righteous. And how we're made righteous, it doesn't mean we're made righteous in the sense that now we are made that we will never do bad deeds any longer. It's now we are made righteous before God that we can stand clean before him. We are declared righteous because of what he did for us on the cross. And that which connects us is our faith in Jesus Christ. Now look up here for a second. One man destroyed everything. One choice he made, Adam. 
Jesus did one act, that act on the cross, which is to provide us for salvation. We do the one act not to sin, to not get to heaven, because that's already in us. We inherited that from Adam. But we do the only one thing, which is to engage Christ as our Savior by faith alone. One man sinned for the world. One man provides salvation. One decision, you enter into Christ. And we have far more than just fire insurance from hell and power over sin, but we have the presence of God in our life moment by moment and the ability to understand Scripture and live a life of pleasure to Him. Why? Because we want to. And that's this disobedience to the obedience. So I'm so thankful that the Lord went all the way to the cross. He stayed on the cross, completed that which He was called to do because He was sent to pay for the sin of the world and He did all the other stuff as the perfect Savior He is. Now, with that, let's uh, just look at the two comparisons. These are easy. You can find these yourself in verses 18 through 21. What are the two comparisons? Look in verse 18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, again, again, all men are sinners, even so through one act of righteousness, although Jesus did many acts, but it was the one on the cross, there resulted justification of life to all men. So circle the word one there. So they both committed a single act. And by that one single act, one brought the moral ruin of the human race and the other one brought the moral uh, regeneration of the human race to those who trust Christ. Look at now in verse 19. We looked at this before, but what was the other comparison? For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, that's that comparison, just like that, this happened, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteousness. And I like to put it this way, both influenced the entire human race. Both influenced the entire human race. And when I say that, the world needs to know that Jesus does influence the human race. That's what propels me into going to China or Indonesia or anywhere God might call me to preach the word. That's what propels me to equip men and women to do the work of the ministry equipping you to take on small group studies or to be counselors or to come alongside fellow folks that you have to share them the word because I want them to know about Christ not not a man-made Christ not a religiously made Christ I want them to know the biblical Christ and to know what Christ did for us on the cross and why we do not pollute it with works before during or after salvation it is strictly by faith alone so both influence the entire human race and Jesus made salvation possible but it's our responsibility to receive him by faith and this would be a good time for us to pause for a moment and Have you received Christ as your Savior yet? He did the work for us on the cross. He's offering the gift. He talked so many times about the free gift, the free gift, the gift, the free gift, the free gift. A gift really is an object, but it doesn't become ours until we receive it. And to receive it, I have to believe that that gift is for me. And it is, because he says, God so loved the world, you're the world, you and me are in the world. And that I have to now receive that gift. Now the question is, how do I receive it? Do I do good works, promise him I'll start this? Do I promise him I'll start, stop that? What do I do to receive this gift? Do I pray more? Do I give more? Do I be baptized? Do I join churches? Do I stop this? What do I do to receive Christ? It's very simple. John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the child of God. You became a part of his forever family. He became your father. You were born once into Adam's family, you're born again into God's family. But how do you do that? The rest of the verse says, even to those who believe on his name. So how you receive is found in believing. So don't worry about how you do it. Just do the believing. When you believe in Christ, 
then you receive the right to become his child. You are born again. You now have God as your father who is infinitely more powerful than Satan is. That you have the one who cleaned up the mess and will keep it cleaned. You are connected to the Godhead and a partaker of his divine nature when you trust Christ as Savior. Well, to end with verse 20 and 21, this is what we're going to exalt with because I think Paul is coming to an end of really rejoicing. He says this, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. So when God gave the law, it only made people realize how they were blowing it. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Circle the word all the more. God just bathes us with his grace. It's like we have a match and it's right in front of us and it's flaming up on that match head. And what the Lord does is he pours the Pacific Ocean on that little match that's lit. So no matter how much our sin increases... Grace increases all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the two key phrases would be the word reign. We don't use that word reign any longer. Reign like in an authority. If we lived in England, we would know what it meant maybe to be underneath the king and the queen and all of that and they reign. And I know they got all their different types of political way that they run their government, etc. But in a sense, in a country, we have a king and queen that just have absolute dictatorial rule over us. They rule. They have the control over us. They have the greatest influence over us. So in this passage, I can either have sin and death reign over me and I don't want to do that. But I also can have Jesus Christ reign over me, the one who's altogether lovely. The one who is powerful, who loved me, who take care of me, who grace me, mercy me. So if I look at that, I actually now have the choice. Do I want to be underneath the reign of death or do I want to have the reign of righteousness and eternal life that's found in Jesus Christ? Do I want to be under the fear of death that goes all the way back to Adam who brought the moral ruin of the human race? Or do I want to be underneath the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ who cleaned up the moral ruin of the human race? So reign is an important phrase. The last is the words, all the more. All the more. And I'm not going to unpack that. Do you know why I'm not? Because the all the more that we get when we trust Christ as Savior is not just that we don't go to hell, but that we get all the victorious Christian life living in a state, a moment-by-moment victory. And we're going to study that in Romans 6, 7, and 8 as we move forward in the book of Romans. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just take a moment in your soul and your spirit right now and just worship the Lord? And to do that, for a moment, just realize the high cost of Adam's disobedience. And when he sinned, it wasn't just that now he had to cover himself up. It brought the physical death in the world that wasn't there. It brought the spiritual death into the world that wasn't there. It brought the eternal death into the world that wasn't there. All because of Adam. And because Adam was the beginning of mankind and humanity, we all have that because of Adam. And we commit the sins as an outflow of our nature. And we're underneath judgment and condemnation because of the trespasses and the nature that we've inherited from from Adam. 
It's all there. And when you see how black and bleak that is, perhaps it'll cause you to run to Jesus Christ who says, you know, I'll give you free grace. I'll give you the free gift. Something that you cannot work for, earn, or even deserve. I will bestow that on you. Whereby one man made you unrighteous and condemned you. One man, God, Christ, will make you righteous to stand clean before the Lord, fully restored for all eternity. Who wouldn't want to run to Christ? Nowhere in this passage did it say works are involved of any kind. Over and over again in the book of Romans, it's hammering down. It is all of God, not of man. We only enter in as humble, undeserving people who recognize the greatness of Christ as God, who died and rose again. And we now receive that gift of grace, that free grace given to us by placing our faith in Him. Would you do that right now? Would you now claim Him as your Savior by placing your faith in Him? The alternative is to remain in a state of condemnation and eternal death. To trust in Christ puts you in a state of eternal justification, declared righteous, and having eternal life. With the other, it's death and emptiness and futility and nothing to have hope in. When you trust Christ, you have all the future ahead of you the greatness of Christ in your life, the abundance of life, and so much more. Claim Him right now because you don't know when you'll breathe your last. I'd like to pray for you if you are. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you in a moment, if you're trusting Christ as your forever Savior, to slip up your hand and put it down if you've never done it before. I'm not going to have you come forward or walk an aisle or anything. I I just want to know if you're trusting Christ today in here now. So I could pray for you. Now when I pray for you all, I'll just kind of pray in a general way. I won't embarrass you by mentioning your name or describing you. But wouldn't you want someone to know the excitement of you receiving the free gift of grace? Like the best gift you could ever get. Wouldn't you want to let someone else know? Well, at least at this point, let me know so I can pray for you. My prayers won't get you into heaven because you've already trusted him. But I'd like to pray for you. Is there anyone in here today that's ready to cross over and say, I'm, I could see where that, I've been in the kingdom of Adam, but I am now embracing the new man, Christ, the second man, the God man, Christ. I'm trusting in him and him alone as my savior for the forgiveness of my sin, for the gift of grace and righteousness and justification because of what he's done for me on the cross. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're trusting Christ today, never done it before, would you slip up your hand right now so I could pray for you? Is there anyone at all? Okay, Christians, please let this propel you, thrust you, drive you into our communities with that message of salvation by faith alone. For your neighbor has the reign of death on him. Your fellow worker has the reign of death on him. The guys you hang with in your social groups, they have the reign of death on them. 
Why don't you share with them the beauty of the reign of Christ? I'll be praying for you. And you pray for me as we engage our community with this precious message of Jesus who cleaned up the mess that Adam made. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the free gift of grace. Lord, we do not treat it lightly. It's not like someone handing out little pieces of food with a toothpick at it at one of our big box stores. We're talking about the gift of grace that cost the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood, and all that went through that for us, given to us who are so undeserving yet so desperately needing of it. And so, Lord, we receive that gift of grace with great humility, but also with great responsibility, that now that we have it, we've got to tell somebody. Not so that we can keep that gift, but it's because we are excited about that gift, because it's Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Our Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.